Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Trinidad and Tobago confirms first Omicron case. Union leaders repeat calls for meaningful dialogue on the issue of severance pay for former Lear workers. Antigua considering amnesty for illegal migrants. Bahamas National Trust report high concentrations of oil still in areas impacted by Equinor oil spill. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Tuesday, December 14th. We start our report today in Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad Newsday reports that Trinidad and Tobago has recorded its first case of the Omicron variant. Health Minister Terence Delyal Singh confirmed the development during the ministry's virtual COVID-19 briefing on Monday. He said the case was detected in a woman who traveled from New York with a positive PCR test to Panama, where she boarded with a negative antigen test. He said the positive PCR test was noted by Port Health in Trinidad and Tobago, and the woman was placed in isolation at a step-down facility where she remains. He said the 14 people in a two-row radius on board the same aircraft as the Omicron-positive person have been contacted, were isolated at home, and are being monitored. He said that all had tested negative with a PCR test. The minister reiterated that the female passenger was flagged at the airport and never entered the population before she was ordered into state quarantine. The Antigua Observer reports that union leaders representing ex-employees of LIAT are once again calling the Antigua government to have a meaningful dialogue on the issue of severance no later than tomorrow, Wednesday, December 15th. This most recent deadline was outlined in a statement issued last week by the Antigua and Barbuda Workers Union. According to the statement, the consultative mechanism of unions representing various categories of LIAT employees held a virtual meeting last Tuesday to examine the last communication issued by the government and will not be accepting the offer as presented. The unions are in the view that the take it or leave it and what we say must go utterance is counterproductive and not in keeping with good and acceptable industrial labor and human relation practices, the release said. The bodies are therefore urging the government to expeditiously and meaningfully engage them with a view to effecting a resolution sooner rather than later. So far, union leaders have rejected the 50% severance offer, which is payable in cash, bonds, or land, or a combination where possible. Recently, Antigua and Barbuda's Prime Minister Gaston Brown has spoken of another arrangement that involves a sale and leaseback agreement or arrangement with the government of Antigua and Barbuda, covering all the chattel assets of Liat. Proceeds from this would be utilized to make urgent severance payments to eligible existing and displaced employees as priority creditors. This offer is in lieu of the 50% compassionate payment. Union leaders have demanded more clarity on the different offers. However, the prime minister has insisted they will have to either accept or reject the offer, which will not remain on the table for long. 
Jamaica Gleaner reports that the Antigua and Barbuda Prime Minister Gaston Brown says his administration is considering granting an amnesty to illegal immigrants as he urged all people on the island to work together to help Antigua and Barbuda rebound economically and socially from the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic. The virus has killed 117 people and infected 4,162 others since March last year in the Twin Island Nation. Brown, speaking on his weekend radio program, said the island was showing signs of significant recovery from the pandemic and was hoping that persons would put aside political differences in ensuring the continued socioeconomic development of the country. Brown said that Antigua and Barbuda has all Always had to deal with migrants who have been in the country for more than 15 years and are now well integrated in our society. They have homes, they work, and they have children. We have to be flexible enough to allow for some form of integration of these individuals in society as we seek to get the contribution of all. So I will certainly speak further on that issue of possible amnesty, Brown told radio listeners. NASA Guardian reports that even after 15 months of weathering and remediation work, there are still high concentrations of oil in the areas impacted by the Equinor oil spill in the Bahamas during Hurricane Dorian in 2019. The findings were revealed in a report released recently by the Bahama National Trust entitled State of the Environment Post-Dorian. According to the Bahama National Trust report, the concentration of oil was still high enough to negatively impact birds and other organisms and significant remediation is still needed at the quarry site north of the main area cleared by Equinor. Waterkeepers Bahamas conducted the investigation in March this year. It analyzed soil samples collected from the Equinor spill site. The highest concentration of total petroleum hydrocarbons were measured in soil samples in areas 2 and 3, the areas that received the most windblown oil. As the samples were collected, Dr. Anselmo Davis and Waterkeepers Bahamas staff noticed visible oil sheens on the water surface as they walked along, displacing oil from the subsurface. This observation confirms the presence of oil in the subsurface in spite of remediation efforts, the report states. When Hurricane Dorian ripped through the eastern Grand Bahama with 185 mile per hour winds in September 2021, the top of crude oil storage tanks flew off and nearly 5 million gallons of oil were subsequently spread from two full tanks which was spread over approximately 21 acres of wetland, pine forest, and a quarry. Noting that the Equinor storage facility has not been made hurricane-hardened to withstand winds or tidal surges likely to impact Grand Bahama in the future, and based on Equinor's delayed response following the spill, the Bahamas National Trust report states that a detailed offensive interventions spill response plan, which includes specific strategies to protect sensitive ecological resources, must be developed to replace the typical defensive wait and see and then clean up the beach plan. 
The Bahamas should consider expansion of surface water protection legislation and regulations requiring spill prevention, countermeasures, and contingency planning similar to the U.S. Clean Water Act requirements for large above-ground storage facilities. The plan would require adequate response capabilities to report states. Adequate on-island capabilities should be established, including oil boom containment and oil spill isolation capabilities, as well as the training and equipment to deploy those capabilities. This planning should be consistent with and include in the Caribbean Island Oil Pollution Response and Cooperation Plan and the Bahamian National Oil Spill Contingency Plan. Facility-specific tabletop and field exercises should be undertaken according to established plans to increase preparedness in a disaster. There is a need for an effective incident command in the event a response is needed, with a clear process for initial command and then handoffs in the event of a large spill. An incident command structure should be formalized that includes oversight by experienced experts in the field that are accountable to public institutions. Additionally, investigators recommend legislation should be drafted stipulating that a natural resource damage assessment occurs after every major spill to understand the required remediation steps and costs, as well as any financial liability of the responsible party to pay for restoration and loss of services or livelihoods. Such an assessment should be codified in legislation to better protect the long-term interests of the Bahamas and its citizens. Such an investment would take the following into account. Tourism is predominantly from cruise ships and overnight visitations. The Bahamian economy is dependent on clean beaches and marine-based opportunities offered by the islands. The Bahamas and surrounding areas are home to 10 critically endangered, 15 endangered, and 42 vulnerable species, according to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, the report states. A major release of crude oil would have long-lasting and, in some cases, irreversible consequences on endangered and vulnerable species. Effective spill containment and response is critical, and a Grand Bahama Reserve account, or trust fund, should be established by the oil storage and handling facilities as a part of the spill prevention process. Marine mammals and sea turtles could be affected by oil spills through various pathways, surface contact, inhalation, ingestion, and bailing fouling. As air-breeding animals, health impacts from oil spills can be fatal or result in long-term health decline. NBC News reports that a special episode of an animated series will celebrate Christmas through the eyes of a Puerto Rican girl from New York City and introduce children to distinctive holiday traditions. Alma's Way, produced by Fred Rogers Production, was created by Sonia Manzano, known for her role as the beloved Maria on Sesame Street, is premiering the special episode, Alma's Noche Buena, Three Kings Day Do-Over on Monday. Noche Buena in Spanish for Christmas Eve. 
It gives us the opportunity to show the younger generation learning from the older generation, Manzano said. Sonia Manzano in Browns, New York, where Alma's Way takes place. David Gonzalez, Fred Rogers production Alma's Way, which debuted in October and has episodes in English and Spanish, follows Alma, a six-year-old Puerto Rican girl who lives with her family in the Bronx as she helps solve daily issues in her predominantly Latino neighborhood. The special episode includes an original composition by Fabiola Mendez, a Puerto Rican musician, who used the traditional curato, a small guitar with four strings. A preview of Alma's Noche Buena, Three King Day do-over, a special episode of Alma's Way that premieres on Monday, Fred Rogers' production. Those little touches in the show are what makes it authentic, Manzano said. Along with the original composition, the special focuses on family and cultural quality of so many Latinos, Manzano said. Growing up in the Bronx meant having a cousin or primo who lived only a block or two away and holidays for Manzano and for many Latino families involve large gatherings. The Bronx is home to many Puerto Rican and Latino families and to keep it authentic, viewers will be able to see the iconic number six train coming through the neighborhood, which gives the show a very realistic touch, Manzano said. Three Kings Day or Feast of the Epiphany is celebrated across Latin America and Spain, with many children getting presents on January 6, the day that commemorates when the three wise men, according to the Bible, went to visit and bring gifts to the baby Jesus. Since the show started, Manzano said she received a great reception for its presentation of Afro-Puerto Rican and Caribbean culture. The show features characters that often have different skin tones, something the creators were very deliberate about, she said. The special is available on PBS stations. Check local listings. All episodes of Alma's Way are available in English and Spanish. For more interactive experiences, families can learn how to make a budín de pan, pan pudding, a nocha bueno tradition, for many families. And finally, the Virgin Islands Daily News reports that a young Virgin Islander has taken New York by storm with an off-Broadway directorial debut. Virgin Islander Irvin Mason Jr., a young 24-year-old, has just made his off-Broadway directorial debut with Ain't Misbehaving at the Gallery Players in New York City. The graduate and class president of the All Saints Cathedral class of 2016, Mason was born and raised on St. Thomas. A field trip to the Pistarco Theater introduced him to the world of theater, and he performed in his first show, The Wiz, in grade school. Mason graduated from the University of California, Los Angeles, with a bachelor's degree in 2020. While there, he established his own color box production company to create a space for marginalized groups to perform and have their voices heard. At UCLA, he felt that there was no representation in the theater department or in other campus organizations that gave minorities the opportunity to perform on stage. He would go on to direct 
direct three plays performed by Colorbox, and the group is still thriving through Mason since he left for New York. Ain't Misbehaving opened December 2nd and will run through Sunday. In the midst of the show, Mason is also hosting a musical review at 54 Below, a concert venue featuring new works by a variety of Broadway performers. As for the future, the possibilities are endless for Mason. He is working with a friend who is finishing her first musical for graduate school at New York University and has hopes of starting another production company in New York. The theater is his first love, but he doesn't rule out TV or film and if the opportunity represents itself. Mason said he realizes the opportunities may be limited for up-and-coming Virgin Islanders, but encourage everyone to pursue their dreams. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Tuesday, December 14th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, now Meta.